Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 15. The lectionary this year, as you know, has been taking us in and out of the Gospel of Luke as we study the physician's report of what happened early in the life of the church and of Jesus' life, of course. As I said earlier, today is the fourth Sunday of Lent. In two Sundays, we have Palm Sunday, and we'll be transitioning into the Easter time and the amazing celebration of what God did. One of the things that uh, we've all noticed in this election, it's been a, a fascinating election. Everybody wants to talk about it all the time, I found. And uh, one of the things that we've seen is that some of the best endorsements uh, for a candidate actually come for their, from his opponents or her opponent. The reason, of course, is a matter of perspective. What one person thinks is terrible, and so they pointed out how this person believes or, or thinks that, Another candidate says, well, that's exactly what I believe and I want to, to support. I want to vote for that. And so if we agree with what the attack is on the other candidate, we see it as kind of a, an unusual recommendation to us. It comes kind of a, a validity to us that their opponents say that's who they actually are. And so we listen to those more so than, than the spin that we get from the campaigns themselves. I mentioned that today because... We have one of the strongest endorsements of who Jesus Christ really is coming from his enemies, those who are wanting to, to put him down and, and destroy him. It happens near the end of Jesus' life when we see the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They mutter against him. I love the way it says that, mutter. It's just kind of, you know, under the breath, talking badly about him, which is what so many times we do towards one another. And they muttered, this man welcomes sinners. He even eats with them. You can just hear the snide disregard for anybody who would do that. But of course, for us who are followers of Jesus Christ, there is no better endorsement for the type of man that we want to follow than someone who will love those whom the world despises. He'll welcome them to his table. He will eat with them. He will be one with them. Now, I don't know about you, but that's, that's who I want to vote for. If Jesus were only running, we would, we would have it solved. The parables of Jesus tell us when these Pharisees mutter against Jesus and make that accusation against him, that there are some wonderful Examples that Jesus gives. He actually, uh, it's called the parable of lostness because there's three of them that he does back to back to back. And of course, the best of the best is the parable of the prodigal son. And that's where we want to prepare today as we listen to this parable. It's exquisitely told by Jesus. And so let's enter into these words as Luke records them for us. So Luke chapter 15 we're going to read through verse 32 with uh, the other two parables, of course, uh, left out of it. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, 
Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. I can't read that without thinking of the joke that's told about the the kindergarten teacher who was teaching this story to the children and said, uh, you five-year-olds, you know, what, what is wild living? And a little guy raised his hand. He said, it's spending all your allowance on bubble gum. <laughs> wild living is different for different people. But this little guy went off and spent, squandered his wealth on bubble gum. After he had spent everything there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put the ring of sonship on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I'll keep that open before you. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so thankful that you say things so clearly. Help each one of us. We 
we all can identify in this story in various ways. And we hear the depth of the love of the Father. And we know that we're invited to the celebration, the table to eat with you and your Son, your, your wondrous Spirit. So be with each of us right now in whatever ways we, we struggle. And of course, we'll give you all praise and honor. Amen. Jesus welcomes sinners. Jesus welcomes sinners. The Father welcomes the prodigal and the judgmental. The Spirit welcomes all of us to the sacrament. Now regardless of what else we say about this beautiful parable, it's clear that God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit welcomes everyone to his table. He welcomes you. He welcomes me. This table is a table of valued guests, of sons and daughters, a place where God's sacred presence is experienced in ways that in this life we have no other comparison. Let me repeat that so that making sure that all of us hear it. Whatever else we want to say today, it is clear by the words of Jesus himself that God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit welcomes everyone. That includes you, and that includes me. And he invites us to his table to eat with him. We are valued guests in this sacred meal that we're about to partake. So if that is true, and I believe it's true with all my heart, it's clear throughout all of Scripture that God loves all and whosoever will is invited to be with him. But if that is true, then why isn't this sanctuary and every sanctuary and every city and every nation just filled and overbrimming with human beings who want to come to the Father's table, to be welcomed into his joy, to be welcomed into the celebration that is life, that is the fullness. Why is it that some people stay away from the Father's house? And why is it that some people can't celebrate the joy when they're in his house? Well, Jesus answers this in this powerful parable of the two brothers. Now, we don't have time today. I mean, we could literally spend a good four or five months just studying the parable itself. Some great books. I encourage you, as I always do, to read the text over and over, to let the text speak to you, to, to listen to what God uniquely has to say to you as you identify. For example, why did the Father see him a long way off? Doesn't that imply that the Father is watching diligently for the return of his sons and daughters to his house, that he wants to run and throw his arms around us? Why is it that whenever we do something that causes us to feel shame, we keep away from the Father when the Father wants so much to bring us home? And there's so many other, other lessons in this. But for this morning, I want to just focus on two uh, kind of obvious reasons of the two sons. Why isn't everyone at the Father's table? What keeps us from the Father's table? Why, 
Why wouldn't we run into the Father's arms just as the Father runs into ours? Well, the first is seen most by the youngest son. There's a fantasy, and it's, it's something I've personally experienced, where we think that perhaps life is better out there, somewhere, where the Father isn't. Now think about that. The fantasy that somewhere out there where the Father isn't, life is better, there's more fun, we can have more power, we can have, do what we want, there's nothing that's holding us back. We could do better than the Father. We can have more success than the Father could ever provide for us. In fact, I think we can solve the world's problems without the Father. Now think of that fantasy, think of that longing that that pulls to human beings. And so, the Father, as Jesus explains in this parable, when the Son comes and says, I want to live without you, he says, yes. No one is forced to come to the Father's house and the Father's table if they don't want to be there. But soon, if you're this type of person, you discover that the problems and the pleasures of the world need the Father. And that you're welcomed home at any time that you come. He's watching for you. Most of you know, as I said, my, my story is this. I'm this type of a person. And I can affirm that I've experienced the impotence of this arrogant world. I can remember in that season of my life going to different places where everyone said we were going to have a good time and, and saying, as the old song says, is this all there is? Everybody's working so hard to have fun. I felt far more joy around my family's table than this. Is this all there is? I've experienced, of course, as you have, the emptiness of an immoral world that trusts in physical pleasure as providing ultimate meaning. It does not. It can't even begin to approach the soul and the life that we're intended to live. And, of course, we've all seen the greediness of a drought-ridden world that trusts in money, that trusts in politics, that trusts in the power of humanity. Now that's the first reason, I think, that people stay away from the Father's house. They want to live in a world where they think the father, Father's absence would be better. But not all of us are like that. The other reason people don't enjoy the Father's house is that they are like the Pharisees who stay home but leave out the joy and the love and the celebration that is meant to be the Father's house. By definition, one of the most powerful works of art I know is that life-size statue of the callous, judgmental indifference of the older brother. A couple of weeks ago, I was working with a congregation and we were discussing their future as we're changing pastors. The lead delegate described to me what their congregation was like and what kind of shepherd they needed in their lives. And she explained something that made it very personal for her and, and of course, very ex 
descriptive of the congregation. She said that she was attending another church and she went through a horrendous, painful three-year divorce. It was very excruciating for her emotionally and spiritually. And she said in that other congregation, the people began to isolate from her and became judgmental toward her. And she said when she stepped into this Free Methodist Church, she felt the love as though it was the very air that they were breathing. And when she shared her pain, she said, they welcomed me into their arms and into the arms of God the Father. And he healed me and he's healed my family and he's healed my teenagers that went through that with me. It is interesting that the older brother did not celebrate either before or after his young brother's return. The Greek word there is euphrenio, and it literally stands for that English word euphoria. Uh, we are meant to have euphoria in the presence of God. When we celebrate the sacrament, we are euphorically giving thanks to God for the forgiveness of sin. The songs that we sang earlier today are just descriptive of that, that we are forgiven, we're cleansed. We don't have to, to say to our Father, I'm not worthy to be a son. He puts the ring of sonship on us. He puts the robe on us. We're welcome to the table. We're a cherished child of the Father. And that's the truth of the euphoria of life. And here the older brother had that every day, but saw himself as a slave to the Father slaving away and he couldn't even get a goat from the father and yet everything he had everything the father had it was his all he needed to do was accept it and live it and be euphoric in the presence of God to celebrate God's love and care for him this morning we are all invited to the father's table everyone is welcome the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The koinonia of community that the Holy Spirit provides, a forgiveness that Jesus Christ's death not only represents but is, in eternal terms, the forgiveness of sin. The love of the Father that created us and gave us life and wants so much for us to live that life. We're invited by God Almighty to this moment in our lives and this partaking of the Blessed Sacrament. And so, I want to say it again, everyone is welcome. Everyone is welcome. This isn't about religion, it's not about membership in some church, it's not about anything you've done in the past, or how far you've journeyed away from God, or the sense of joylessness with which you've lived. Everyone is welcome to come and receive the invitation. And allow this blessed sacrament to be a comfort to you, both now and eternally.